I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grunland, and this is where I share my stories. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny, other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time, two deadhead loggers find something remarkable in the piney woods of East Texas, putting them at odds with a large timber company. And now, the usual content advisory. In Cypress Slough deals with bullying, violence, including gun violence, homophobia, the destruction of wildlife and habitat, structure fires, mention of suicide, and swearing. Also, if you're driving, be aware there's a scene with approaching emergency sirens and one loud jump scare, a gunshot. Before we get going, really quick. Did you know one of the founders of Podcast Movement is about to launch an audio drama? There's even a possibility it's out by the time you listen to this episode of Not About Lumberjacks. Mitch Todd's Andromeda Factory is on track to be out in the world soon, but you can listen to the trailer right now by searching for Andromeda Factory wherever you get your podcasts. That's A-N-D-R-O-M-E-D-A Factory. I'll include a link to the trailer in the show notes. And I hear the guy who narrated this very episode of Not About Lumberjacks me, may have contributed to an episode. All right, let's get to work. In Cypress Slough. <music> 2010. The blur of colors in the trees changed everything. Red, black, and white in exactly the right places. Did you see that, Jorge said from the front of the John boat? Cade shook his head. See what? That bird. Lots of birds out here. Yeah, but that one shouldn't be here. You mean like it should be someplace else? No, I mean it shouldn't be here at all. It shouldn't exist. Moments before, Jorge was telling Cade about the early efforts of overwater oil drilling up north on Caddo Lake. And then there it was, so clear that it could not be disputed. Turn back, Jorge said. I'm not turning around for a bird. You're not turning around for just a bird. I swear on everything I hold dear in life. I just saw an ivory-billed woodpecker. Jorge and Cade met in junior high school when a group of bullies cornered Cade in the locker room and Jorge stepped in to help. They both took a beating, but from that moment the two became inseparable friends, parting only when Jorge left their hometown of Lumberton, Texas to study vertebrate zoology at Texas A&M University. When chemistry classes and financial struggles forced Jorge home, Cade was running his dad's custom furniture shop and offered Jorge a job. In time, they struck out on their own, becoming known beyond the big thicket of East Texas for their custom builds. An article in Southern Living about their work with reclaimed sunken cypress logs found them with an abundance of orders and left them astonished by how much people would pay for something they viewed as routine work building slab tables, benches, and desks. Jorge convinced Cade they can make even more money by reclaiming their own cypress sinkers. While Jorge never followed his father into offshore commercial diving, he shared his dad's love for being underwater. They split their year diving the Natchez River and its tributaries for cypress butt logs that fell off barges in the early 1900s and then building furniture through winter. Cade turned the John boat around and Jorge went to the trolling motor when they slowed down. 
Just letting you know, I'm not spending the whole morning out here chasing a bird, Cade said. 10, 15 minutes. That's all I'm asking. You're going to get us lost. At the very least, stuck. Jorge picked up a canoe paddle. I'll push us back out. No worries. He maneuvered the boat off the main waterway and into the trees. Cade's apprehension was noted by a quick intake of breath and a slow exhale. A reminder of the day when they were younger and Jorge convinced them to blaze their own trail on the sloughs and creeks in the trees. Even Jorge was amazed how easy it was to get turned around in the seemingly multiplying stands of bald cypress trees. When evening settled in, he grew concerned, noticing the fear in Cade's face each time he turned back in the canoe, hoping Jorge had an idea about which way to go. When darkness further impaired their sense of direction and brought out the kinds of sounds that toy with an imagination, they spotted distant lights. A kind older couple with a cabin at the end of an abandoned county road let them call their parents. They shared a dinner of pork chops cooked on the grill, green beans, and mashed potatoes while waiting for Cade's dad to pick them up in their canoe. Don't worry. GPS, Jorge said while holding up his Garmin global positioning device. When they could go no further, Jorge leaned back in his seat and listened. The sound of water sloshing against the side of the boat and moving slowly around knobby tree trunks was only interrupted by bird calls and Cade occasionally taking a sip of coffee from a travel mug. Few pleasures in Jorge's life beat sitting in a boat on still waters while thinking about how connected everything is. From where he sat, he imagined every nerve in his body stretching into the water and feeling the way south to Sabine Lake and emptying into the Gulf of Mexico through the pass. From there he could go anywhere, but what mattered most was not losing himself in the moment. He stretched and kept his eyes slowly scanning the trees. He heard more than he saw the calls of wood ducks and the grumbling of great blue herons, nuthatches and warblers and vireos, the distant call of a red-tailed hawk and the staccato drumming of a pileated woodpecker. But no sign visually or audibly of the bird Jorge knew he'd seen. When he picked up the canoe paddle to push the john boat back from the trees, he heard a startled rustle from Cade in his seat. You okay? Yeah, Cade said. I was dozing. You probably could have gotten away with another 15 or 20 minutes. The two spent the day sending Jorge down into the murky waters, feeling his way along the bottom for sunken logs where Cade's depth finder or Jorge's instincts indicated they might have a hit. Cade dreamed about finding a barge's worth of sunken cypress so they could focus only on building, but Jorge loved the hunt. Days out on the water with his best friend, diving into realms ruled by alligators and water moccasins, and sometimes coming up with a payday worth thousands was better than time holed up in their shop building tables and benches for overpriced weekend homes in the woods. Their efforts yielded two finds, which Cade marked in a notebook. The next day they'd return with their floating pontoon winch, Nolan's Ryan, and pull them up. Jorge wanted to name the boat the Killdeer, but a two out of three round of rock, paper, scissors went in Cade's favor, and he got naming rights. When they got back to their shop, Jorge unhitched the John boat and put his cypress strip canoe, the Gadwall, on the rack. You're going back, ain't you, Cade said. Yep. Jorge went to his trailer home on the property and returned with his camera bag and monopod. Want to come along? Nah, gonna have a couple beers and watch the Astros game. Your loss. For three days after work, Jorge paddled and floated the area where he saw the woodpecker. After a productive week on the river, Cade called for a weekend away from work. 
For him, it meant firing up his smoker and watching baseball. For Jorge, it meant two full days chasing a ghost. On Sunday morning, he spotted a nuttall oak along the shore stripped of its bark around a hole high up near the top. He marked the spot on his GPS device, grabbed his binoculars, and floated. He was eating a cliff bar about an hour into his stakeout when he saw it. Even from a distance, there was no disputing what he was looking at. He now understood how the bird acquired the nickname the Lord God Bird. It was even more magnificent than he imagined. As the woodpecker clung to the tree, Jorge followed the white stripes along its back to the white feathers at the end of its wings, a pattern reminiscent of the gangly, awkward kid at school with the low-slung backpack. He slowly picked up his camera and took a series of photos. His heart raced as he viewed the ivory-billed woodpecker through the long lens on his camera. He switched over to video, watching the bird move around its roosting cavity. Before advancing closer, he checked his camera. The photos and video footage were in perfect focus. No Bigfoot blur or distant footage to be argued over. Jorge had conclusive evidence the ivory-billed woodpecker was not extinct. Paddling forward through the trees, his presence eventually startled the bird. He raised his camera, but was too slow. Still, he knew it would be back. Jorge spent the day watching and filming the woodpecker in flight and at its roost. He was so enthralled with what he'd found that when darkness fell, the only thing preventing a repeat of the Lost on the Slews incident from his youth were waypoints and a Garmin GPS device to get him back to the truck. When he pulled up, Cade was sitting at the fire pit between their trailers. I was just about to give you a call. Figured you were either lost or that you chased it until dark and decided to spend the night. Jorge grabbed his camera bag and wandered over. Or, I spent the day watching and filming it. No kidding? Not one bit. I got it. He dragged his chair next to Cade's and showed him some of the photos and footage. Well, I'll be. Cade reached into a cooler and came out with two shiners. He unscrewed the tops, tossed them in the fire, and handed one of the beers to Jorge. Cheers! Cheers. After a long draw from the bottle, Cade said, So now what? I gave that some thought on the drive back. I'm taking tomorrow off. I emailed a biologist I found on the Parks and Wildlife website heading up to his office in Jasper to show him. I know what I'm looking at, but I want confirmation. Sure that's a good idea? Yeah, why? If the bird's there, it's there without our interference. Seems best to leave well enough alone. Fair point. I thought about that, too. Cross Pine Lumber is still cutting tracks down to nothing up there. That area needs to be preserved. Some small-town sweetheart business deal gets made, and all that's gone. True, but it's not so easy for bigger operations to move around like us. That's their problem. Yep, it is. At least until they make it ours. When Jorge stepped into the Department of Parks and Wildlife office, he was greeted at the desk by a biologist who said, Jorge Martinez? Yes, you must be Devin Spencer. Indeed I am. Been looking forward to this all morning. Come on back. Jorge followed Devin to his office, a small room in the back corner of a double-wide construction trailer serving as a field office. The desk and chairs looked like they'd been there since the 70s. Maps of the area covered the faux wood paneled walls. The only color in the space was a small pride flag on top of a short bookcase full of binders. Jorge pointed at the flag. Is that for you or for a friend or family? That's mine. Why? You just don't meet many out people like us in the sticks. Really? Jorge nodded. Interesting, Devin said. He pointed to a chair. 
So you said you had some photos and video you wanted to show me. Can you finally tell me what's up? Jorge sat down and booted up his laptop. I have conclusive proof of an ivory-billed woodpecker living near Black Creek off the Natchez River. I know you're probably thinking, oh, he's about to show me a pileated woodpecker, but trust me on this. I wasn't really thinking about anything, just waiting for you. But now that I am giving it thought, I suppose that would be the most likely outcome. Devin gasped when Jorge opened the first photo. Leaning in for a closer look, he said, This isn't a prank? Nope, I have video too. After Jorge showed Devin the photos, he opened the videos. Listen, he said. Not only did he have its calls, but he was close enough to see the massive woodpecker vocalize. How did you find it? I reclaim sunken cypress logs and build furniture with a friend. I always keep an eye out for wildlife, especially when he's driving the boat and I'm up front. I gasped too when I saw it. I kept going back until finally finding it yesterday. Do you mind if I show this to others? Not at all. In the weeks that followed, Jorge showed biologists with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and, eventually, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service where the woodpecker lived. Devin took part in the state surveys, pairing up with Jorge until the organizations had plans to preserve the area. Cade spent his days marking potential locations for Jorge to eventually explore and finally revamping the company website. One evening while sitting around the fire pit, he said to Jorge, We really need to hit the spots I've marked lately, before they shut all this down. You know that's coming, right? Yeah, not sure how much of the area will get protected, but it's in the works. Does that mean you're done being a tour guide and we can get back to work this week? Yep. Two days later, when they pulled off the dirt fishing road leading up to the put-in point for their boat, Jorge and Cade were greeted by four men blocking the way. One of them held a felling axe, two and a half pounds of sharpened steel at the end of a 32-inch hickory handle. A red and black buffalo plaid flannel completed the lumberjack look. Is that Davy Boyd, Jorge said? Cade stopped the truck. Let me do the talking. They got out and slowly approached the group. Morning, gentlemen. Davy, how can we help you? Davy Boyd held the axe in his right hand and pointed with his left index finger a rubbery sausage-like appendage with manicured nails. It's too late for that, thanks to him. Should have put you two boys down back when I had the chance. Davy Boyd was the school bully leading the attack on Cade the day Jorge met his best friend. Throughout middle and high school, the two thwarted attacks by Davy and his friends until one day reaching their end. They waited in the bushes for Davy to drop Kerry Johnson off after a Friday night football game. Carrie's father was not very keen on his daughter's choice of boyfriend, so Davy dropped her off at the end of the long driveway and at least had the decency to wait for her to get inside before leaving. When he turned around, Kate and Jorge jumped him. <laughs> Davy took the beating and worked his way back to his truck, where he pulled a shotgun from the gun rack in the back window. He leveled it at Cade and Jorge, sending them scrambling. For years, Davy reminded the two he could have shot them dead that night and gotten away with it in self-defense. There's no need to be mad, Cade said. No need to be mad? I have a stand of timber worth about half a million dollars ready to harvest that they'll likely keep me from. And Earl here was planning to put a couple cabins on his property and retire early. But none of these things will happen now because the government's going to come in and restrict us at best or seize our land at worst. And it's all your fault. I worried about the same thing, Cade said. 
Hell, I even tried convincing Jorge it might not be his best idea. But he has a point, too. Why should all of us benefit at the risk of a species going away forever? Maybe that's the only ivory-billed woodpecker in the world out there. Or maybe there's more. I don't fucking know. I do know I want to keep going on with what we do back here as much as y'all. It's a sweet gig. But Jorge and I will find another place for sinkers if need be. And you own half the friggin' county, Davy. You're not going to run out of timber. We have the chance to save something everyone thought was gone for good. I'm sorry you two are willing to roll over and take it, Davy said, but we're not. They shut all this down and there will be hell to pay. Earl McKean pointed at Cade's John boat. You put your boat in on my land. I've always been good with that, boys. It's only locals who know this spot. But no more. I see you on my property. That's trespassing now. I see you back here again. If I'm in a good mood, I'll put salt shot in your asses. If I'm feeling mean, I might do worse. You best get back in that truck right now and find another place to launch your boat. Ivory-billed woodpecker mania is sweeping the region. With a confirmed sighting of the rare and elusive species, bird watchers from around the world are descending on the piney woods of East Texas. Davies, Earls, and even Cade's initial concerns and fears were not unfounded. While no land was seized, a wider-than-anticipated territory was established under the Endangered Species Act, leaving even Jorge and Cade seeking new areas still within the limits of their permit. But what was a bust for some was a boon for others. Once the story reached the news, Lumberton, Silsby, Everdale, and Buna all claimed the ivory-billed woodpecker as their own, even though the bird resided well outside the limits of the four towns. Buna went as far as painting its regionally famous polka dot house with cartoon woodpecker heads. Chambers of commerce decorated in similar fashions, anticipating the rush of people hoping for a peek at the bird. Restaurants created theme menu items, resulting in light-hearted rivalries between local burger joints offering up big woody burgers, Lord God patty melts, and knock-on-wood sliders. Barbers offered sleek, ivory-billed woodpecker-influenced haircuts, and every independently-owned hotel seemed to change their name to the Ivory-Billed Inn. It was almost hard to fault them. With a confirmed sighting, bird watchers from far reaches lined the Natchez River bordering the protected area in the hope of catching a glimpse of the rare and impressive bird. When they weren't on the water, they needed places to stay and things to do. Jorge and Cade were sitting at the fire pit drinking beer when Cade said, You know, I've been thinking... Might be best to stop diving for logs and shift to building while this all blows over. We can't even get back on Village or Hickory Creek, let alone the river. It's crazy. It is, Jorge said. I got an email today from someone telling me he's willing to pay me $50,000 to take him back and see it. You gonna do it? No! Why not? That's a lot of money for a few hours in the canoe. They've been picking up trespassers and fining them. Yeah, but for 50 grand, I'd still be tempted. Pay the fine if you get caught and still walk away with thousands. It's not worth it. If something bad happened to the bird when I was back there and I was blamed, that would cover the fine, but it wouldn't account for potential jail time. And as the guy who found the bird, I feel a weird sense of duty to it and the people working to preserve things. Like Devin? Yeah, Devin too. How's that going? We stay in touch through email, but that's about it. You should ask him out for coffee or something. See how things have been going. It's not like we're busy right now. True, but if we shift to building mode, we will be. Stop with the excuses. You deserve to be happy. Even if we switch over, there's a lot to get in order. That's time to at least find out. Jorge awoke to the sound of distant sirens getting closer. 
He looked at the curtains, watching lights flash against them before realizing the sirens were distant enough that he wouldn't see them yet. This was a different kind of flickering. From Cade's trailer, he heard his friend shout, Jorge, get out here! He pulled on a pair of hiking sandals and charged out wearing only his sleep shorts. It was a cool evening for the season, but he felt the heat from the fire. Cade pulled a fire extinguisher from the back of the truck and ran for their shop. Get the hose! By the time Cade emptied the fire extinguisher and Jorge joined his side, a fire truck and ambulance arrived. In the distance, another siren was getting closer. When the fire was extinguished, they assessed the damage with the company lieutenant. The insulation on one side of the steel frame unit was burned away, and much of their curing cypress was toasted. The portable sawmill looked like a total loss. I think most of these logs and slabs survived, Cade said, or will at least be usable with a bit of work. The company lieutenant towed a piece of shattered glass on the floor near their timber. It looked like the bottom of a bottle. He pointed at a broken window. Is there any reason either of you could think of that someone might have started this fire? Jorge nodded. Yes. Why? We'll bring in an investigator tomorrow, but this might be deliberate. When Davy Boyd pulled into his reserve spot in front of the Cross Pine Timber Warehouse, Jorge and Cade were waiting. He flashed them a cocky grin as he pulled off his wraparound Oakley sunglasses and placed them on his company cap. Davy stepped out of his Ford F-450 pickup truck and said, What can I do for you ladies this fine morning? You know damn well what you could do, Cade said. Whoa, calm down there, Katie boy. I haven't even had my coffee. And no, I don't know what I can do. Perhaps you can catch me up to speed. Someone firebombed our place last night, Cade said. You could probably imagine why we might think it was you. Nope, sure can't. Cade made a fist and took a step forward. You might want to think twice about that. There's a reason I carry my keys in my left pocket. Jorge noticed the bulge from a pistol on Davy's right side and grabbed the back of Cade's shirt. I'm serious, fellas. I haven't thought about your place until just now. Not that I give a shit. I'm guessing you're only going to garner more enemies now that the news is spread that your little buddy's responsible for the whole area turning into a circus. Come around here again, and you two might get hurt. Davy Boyd pushed past Cade and Jorge. They're doing an investigation, Cade said. If you did it, they'll find out. Davy turned around and grinned. You know damn well if I had done it that nothing would happen to me. Now you girls get off my property and never set foot on any spot I own ever again. Understand? Jorge took Cade's advice and emailed Devin, asking if he wanted to get some coffee and chat. Devin replied, telling Jorge to bring a thermos and meet him at the Johns Lake Road put-in point Earl McKean told them to stay away from. Devin was already there when Jorge arrived. Earl was in his backyard. When he saw Jorge, he gave him the finger. Don't worry, Devin said. He does that every time. We've tried talking with him, telling him the day may come when he can't put in enough cabins on his property to meet the demand for visitors. Yeah, but that finger was meant for me. He knows I'm the one who reported it. Threatened to shoot us if we ever put in here again. Well, you're safe with me. After they got the canoe from the back of Devin's work truck, he tossed Jorge a personal flotation device and packed a few dry bags into the boat. So what are we doing, Jorge said. I have to check all the field cameras and autonomous recording units. You've not been back here a while. I figured, why not have coffee and chat while checking things? 
As they glided through the trees, Jorge adapted his breathing to the rhythm of the paddle strokes. He loved being in the bow, blocking his view of the front of the canoe and imagining himself skimming across the water's surface. It was that time of the year before murky floodwaters clouded the shallows where hungry white bass flashed bright like giant coins and vegetation undulated beneath the surface like long hair waving in a breeze. How have you been doing, Devin said. It's been a crazy week. Had a guy offer me 50 grand to take him back here. I told him no, of course. Then our warehouse appears to have been firebombed. What? Yeah, looks like someone knocked out a window and tossed in a Maltov cocktail. Fortunately, aside from our sawmill, it wasn't a total loss. And then my best friend decided to pick a fight with a guy who's bullied us since high school and now I'm here. Jorge took in a deep breath and slowly exhaled. In the rush of everything, he'd not been on still water for over a month. So I take it you were bullied because you're gay? Nah, at least not initially. I saw a group of guys beating up my best friend Cade and tried helping. We both got our asses kicked. Really though, I think he got bullied more than I did. No one knew I was gay, but they knew. So they teased Cade for being my friend more than they picked on me for being gay. I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, definitely not the best place to grow up gay. I hid it well. My dad always had his suspicions, but he let me act tough. I think he was relieved, just for my own preservation. He grew up outside and taught me everything he knew, so I was able to hide it and blend in. Until I went to college and didn't have to hide it as much anymore. Do you still see your dad? Yes, my mom and dad. How about you? My folks moved to Austin when I went to school, but I see them when I can. My mom was a longhorn. I think she hoped when I visited Austin that I'd change my mind and go there. You mentioned you dropped out? Yeah. How come? Couldn't afford it. And then business took off for Cade and me. Is everything you make from reclaimed Cypress? Most of it. It's become what we're known for. I miss making more intricate furniture. What we reclaim from the water is mostly good for tables and benches. Well, you might get the chance to get back to better things. Jorge turned around. What do you mean? The state's considering restricting sinker salvage. It's destroying wildlife habitats. I know someone who's not gonna like that news. You know I'm on your side with this environmental stuff, Cade said. Right? Yeah. But you can see how some people feel it's all too much? Sure, I can see that, Jorge said. But it doesn't mean I have to side with it. It's like anything, really. If we cared more all along, been nicer all along, we'd not see so much pushback today. It only happens because we destroy everything when given the chance. Half the people who live out here are freaking out that white people one day won't be the majority in this country. But the only reason to fear that is if you've been cruel all along and you keep at it instead of acknowledging the past and changing your ways. Same thing with protecting species. Look at how much we've driven to extinction because no one stopped us. Hell, our national bird was once on the endangered species list. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, I don't know what does. I love diving for logs. I love being in the shop with you too, but I love being out on the water even more. And I know we can't live without doing some kind of damage to other things, but I hate the thought of me not being smart enough to figure out a way to do something if it means saving something that can't avoid its impending demise. The least I can do is care enough to consider something else. If hauling logs out of creeks and rivers destroys habitats, I'm willing to try thinking about how to shift what we do. Cade took a swig of beer and said, Yeah, you're right. Of course. 
I suppose I got used to making simple furniture that paid well enough to let us putter around on the water a little more than half the year. Did you have a good morning at least? Yeah, a great morning. Devin's a really cool guy. And they think they might have heard another ivory-billed woodpecker. It was on one of their recorders. Distant enough that they can't confirm it, but they're hopeful. Well, hope's a good thing. Indeed. To hope. Cheers. Cheers. Jorge and Cade were almost done cleaning up their shop when they heard the rattle of a diesel engine and tires on gravel. It sounded like a small semi-tractor pulling up. When they stepped out to see what it was, they saw the grill of Davy Boyd's pickup truck. Davy cut the engine and got out. What the hell do you want, Cade said. Davy looked at the shop. Seems someone accused me of setting your place on fire. Cops came by asking me if I had anything to do with it. Any idea who might have told them to bother me? No idea, Cade said. Huh, that's funny, because when I asked around, they told me it was you two. We didn't say you did it, Jorge said. They asked us if we could think of anyone who might have done it. You and your friends threatening us on Johns Lake Road didn't put you at the bottom of our list. So yeah, we mentioned you in Earl McKean's names. Why wouldn't we? You standing there with an axe, acting like some butch lumberjack, and Earl threatening to shoot us if they put restrictions on the area. And you seriously wonder why we'd have them check with you? You've never been very bright, Davy, but come on. Davy looked at Cade and said, You better shut your girlfriend up. Jorge put his arm in front of his best friend and held him back. Davy patted his right hip and said, Best listen to your little bitch. Fuck you, Cade said. You're pathetic. That gun, this truck. What are you compensating for, Davy? You're only tough if you have that thing on your side or ten friends standing behind you. Davy reached for the pistol. He pulled it from the holster and set it on the hood of his truck. There. You want to settle this? Then let's settle it. There's nothing to settle, Jorge said. Davy looked at Cade. What about you? Cade shoved Jorge aside and said, Yeah, there's a lot to settle. Years of his bullshit. Davy squared up, but Cade was on him before he could throw a punch. Years of letting other people do the hard work for him did Davy no favors. Despite towering over Cade, hauling logs out of rivers and moving slabs of timber around kept Cade fit. He hit Davy just below the ribs with his shoulder, taking the wind out of him. Before Davy could catch his breath, Cade went for a leg, toppling the mini giant. He climbed onto his chest and started punching. Jorge let him get in a few shots before trying to pull Cade off Davy, but there were decades of grief being released in his best friend's rage. Cade wriggled free each time Jorge tried grabbing him. He kept hammering Davy's face with his fists. When Davy went limp, he didn't stop. Even when Jorge did get a hold, Cade wrapped his legs around Davy's body and refused to let up. The sound of the gun brought Cade back. He looked at Jorge, who just fired a shot into a thick pile of ruined lumber. What the hell? Jorge said, You won, all right? I had to do something. You looked like you were going to kill him. As Cade caught his breath, he looked at Davy's red and puffy face. Blood flowed from his nose. A fat lip redirected the rivulet toward his cheek. When Davy came to, Jorge helped him up. Davy looked toward the hood of his truck. Looking for this, Jorge said. He waved the gun in his hand. Give that back. Why, so you could shoot us? Nah, you're not getting this back right now. Both of you are too wound up for that. I'll bring it by your office later today when you calm down and get cleaned up from the ass beating you just took. Right now, you're gonna leave. You give us any more grief and we'll tell the cops you took a shot at us, missed, and Cade had no choice. 
And yeah, I know you have friends in high places, but this is a little county and I'm friends with a bunch of people with the State Department of Parks and Wildlife and even a few people with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I'm sure if I told them I didn't think you were following all the rules the county lets you break, that it would put a damper on your business. So why don't you think about that? Davy pointed at them and then shook his head and got into his truck. Beneath the hood, the engine roared to life. When Cade smiled and waved at Davy, Jorge slapped his hand down and told him to stop. Later that day, Jorge drove to Cross Pine Timber and asked for Davy. Davy looked like a prize fighter on the wrong end of a bad night. Can we step outside, Jorge said. Davy looked worried for a moment, but seemed to catch on when Jorge patted his right pocket. Here you go, Jorge said as he handed Davy his pistol. I know I don't need to be, but I'm sorry about all this. I'm sorry you have a stand of timber you can't get to right now. I even feel for Earl. I feel for Cade. He's more on your side in all this than you probably know. Our days of recovering sinkers are numbered. It's up to us to figure out what we'll do when that day comes. I don't care if you can or can't see any of this from my point of view, but I want you to think about how it is for Cade. You've been giving him grief for almost 20 years for no reason other than you decided to target him and make his life hell. And then you went at him harder once he and I became friends. Even though he's straight, you gave him more grief about being gay than me. Hell, you made fun of me for being a Mexican, even though my family's been here for probably as many generations as yours. All I'll say about your face is this. It looks like that right now because you brought it upon yourself. You're a grown friggin' man acting like you're still in high school. You've got a good life, so let that shit go. You won the prize. Isn't that enough? Davy said nothing. You and Cade just need to ignore each other. But I want you to mull this over. This is all on you. Had you never picked on him, this wouldn't have happened. Also, if you ever go at him again, I won't stop him from killing you. Because I'm pretty sure in the rage he let go when he was on top of you, that was his intent. Jorge extended his hand. It took a moment, but Davy Boyd shook it before heading back inside. Two days later, a package a little larger than a shoebox arrived, addressed to Bald Cypress Furnishings. Inside was a dead ivory-billed woodpecker and a note reading, This is what you get for shutting it all down and calling the cops on me. Send them again. This time I'll be ready. You shouldn't have stopped me from beating the hell out of Davy, Cade said. That son of a bitch! I don't think it was him. Come on, you know it was. No, I think he kind of gets it. Let me make this call. In Hardin County, Texas, a tense standoff between police and Earl McKean, the man who killed the last ivory-billed woodpecker, ended in tragedy. The last stand of Earl McKean made the evening news even beyond the borders of the big thicket. An armed standoff with the man who killed the last ivory-billed woodpecker ended with him setting fire to his home and taking his life with a single bullet. Jorge and Cade watched footage of his burning house from a helicopter. You were right, Jorge said. I should have just shut up. Earl might have been a crotchety old fuck, but he didn't deserve that end. And the woodpecker did well enough without our influence. Nah, Cade said. It lived right on the edge of where Davy was going to harvest timber. So who knows what would have happened with it, but it probably wouldn't have been good. At least you cared. A lot of good it did. Yeah, it did. You brought a lot of people together. That bird brought hope back to this area. Maybe some kid growing up around here right now remembers this, goes off to school, and becomes a biologist like Devin instead of going to work for Davy. 
Maybe some of the dumbasses out here who vote for people like Davy's dad consider this and vote for somebody better. I don't know, but I do know I was wrong when I said you should have just let well enough alone. Well enough only goes so far when people are willing to do whatever they want if they know they can get away with it. You did the right thing. Never forget that. After dinner, Jorge booted up his laptop. He opened Outlook and composed an email. Devin, I'm sure by now you've heard the news. I'm so sorry. I know it's not my fault this all happened, but I can't help but feel responsible to some degree. I'm glad there are people like you out there trying to make a difference. Jorge. He was dozing when he heard his email notification. He opened Devin's reply. Jorge. Yes, I heard. I have a hard time feeling for Mr. McKean. Take your stand, sure, but why kill the bird? I'm sorry you were on the receiving end of all this. I'm heading out in the morning to check field cameras and recorders. I'd love to have some company. Meet me at the put-in point around 6.30? Devin. When Jorge pulled up, he could smell the burned remains of Earl McKean's house. He was happy to see Devin already there with the canoe in the water. On closer inspection, he noticed the boat had a square stern with a small outboard motor attached. He got out of the truck. Good morning, Devin said. Morning. Jorge pointed at the canoe. What's up with that? We're going to head up river a bit. We could paddle, but this is much easier. As they put on flotation devices and packed a few dry bags into the canoe, Jorge looked north, through the trees where he'd found the ivory-billed woodpecker. One of the most beautiful places he knew now seemed devoid of life, despite still teeming with the energy of a rising morning. As they made their way up the Neches River, they passed the spot where Jorge first caught sight of the bird. He wondered what its fate would have been had he never said a word. A couple miles up, Devin cut the engine. He and Jorge began paddling into the trees, following a winding creek deeper into the canopy. The creek gave way to a series of sloughs. Jorge said, My friend Kate and I got lost on waters like this when we were kids. He's still nervous to come back to places like this. What about you, Devin said. Does this bother you? No, I love it. It's places like this that keep me in the area. I've thought about leaving, but this part of the state is definitely not without its magic. You'll get no argument from me. If Kate isn't game to get lost back in places like this, I am. Anytime you want to come out, let me know. I'd like that. Of course, I'd not object to seeing each other outside of all this either. Maybe dinner sometime? I'd like that even more. Wonderful. They paddled in silence, sometimes following creeks, other times shallow bodies of still water. Jorge lost track of time, but didn't want to check his phone or ask Devin. Instead, he said, where are we going? You're patient. Most people would have asked that before even getting into the canoe. We're almost there. Where is there? You'll see. Several minutes later, Jorge swore he heard the call of an ivory-billed woodpecker. He turned back to look at Devin, who smiled and nodded. The trees gave way to a clearing in the middle of it all a large slough among the cypress trees. Across the water, a line of nutall oaks stood watch on a raised shore. Psst! Jorge turned around to Devin handing him a pair of binoculars. Devin pointed to a tree with scaled bark high up. Jorge sighted the tree and moved his view up to the hull. Three tiny heads poked out, Comical, big-eyed little wedges waiting for food. In time, their mother returned to the nest, sending the chicks into a frenzy. 
She wasn't as colorful as Jorge's woodpecker, but she was equally beautiful. We spotted another male, Devin whispered, and we've picked up recordings north of here that we think might be another. We're hopeful there are enough for a recovery. He poured Jorge a cup of coffee and handed it to him before pouring one for himself. Jorge set the binoculars down and took it all in. Perhaps what he was looking at would make it on their own, a population of a species on the brink reclaiming what belonged to them long before progress and greed took over. But he knew that was unlikely. In taking his stand, the lineage of the birds before him might thrive long after he was gone and forgotten. The thought made him smile, and as he recalled all the times he was told to pay attention to menial things by teachers and bosses and other people who, in turn, missed the obvious beauty right in front of them, he chuckled. <laughs> What's so funny, Devin said. Just thinking about how strange this has all been, and how disconnected people are to so many amazing things. He watched the ivory-billed woodpecker feeding her brood. The wonders of the world are everywhere, if only we'd open our eyes and listen. Thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks. Not just this episode, but some of you, every story and behind-the-scenes commentary for the six years of the show's existence. I put 40 to 60 hours into each episode, which is a lot of time for something that makes no money or even gets many listens. But knowing you're listening makes it worthwhile. So thanks. Okay, onward. Theme music, as always, is by Ergo Fizmiz. Story music this time is by River Foxcraft, licensed through Epidemic Sound. Sound effects are made in-house or from Epidemic Sound and freesound.org. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and the music. In December, the other now annual tradition continues as I share a handful of very short short stories, one of which is always a Christmas tale. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.